My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you are enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Jacqueline Twilley. Jacqueline is the founder and president of ZeroGap.co, a global training and development firm that specializes in women's leadership within a male-dominated industries. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me, Patricia. I'm super excited to be here. I'm excited to talk with you as well. I really adore um, what your company is doing, and I align with it a great deal in my own personal endeavors. I'm going to read a bio for everyone listening on Jacqueline, but first, I wanted to give you a roadmap for today's podcast. It's going to follow the trajectory that all of the podcasts in this series do. Namely, we'll be looking at Jacqueline's academic background and early professional life. We will then turn our attention towards unpacking ZeroGap.co and any other endeavors that Jacqueline may be involved in. We'll get into the who, what, when, where, why, and how of her company and look at its current um, stages. And then we'll look at the goals that she may have for ZeroGap.co in the next three to five years. And we'll wrap everything up with talking about advice that Jacqueline may have. Um, Really quickly, a bio. Jacqueline V. Twilley holds an MBA in leadership. She is the founder and president of ZeroGap.co, a global training and development firm that specializes in women's leadership within male-dominated industries. ZeroGap has been identified as one of the fastest-growing companies in 2019 by Inc. Jacqueline is an, an Amazon bestseller author. She has been featured in Forbes, Fast Co., Essence Now, Black Enterprise Parade, Today.com, NBC, BLK, and more on the topics of women's leadership and negotiation strategy. Jacqueline is a graduate of Southern, uh, Southeastern Louisiana University and earned her MBA from Tiffin University. Her life's mission is to eliminate the gender wage gap by providing practical strategy for women to advance and thrive in leadership roles. In her downtime, she loves to practice yoga and cook. When Jacqueline isn't working on leadership development for women, she enjoys seeing the world from up in the air. Check out her skydive video on YouTube. So that's, I can't wait to actually get into some of those like (laughs) hobbies as well, Jacqueline. But before we start with unpacking um, zerogap.co and all of those things, I'm wondering if you can just drop us through your academic background and early professional life following that. Yes. So... 
my early academic background, I went to school in Louisiana, which is where I grew up, and I ultimately decided to do undergrad at Southeastern Louisiana. Interestingly, my first major in college was political science. And after that first uh, poli-sci one-on-one class, I quickly realized that was not my cup of tea. And through the help of career services and understanding uh, assessments, I was able to shift to marketing. So that was one of the biggest ahas that I had early in my academic background, is mm -hmm. understanding the power of an assessment to help me pivot because those assessments really helped me to see myself in a deeper light. Throughout my undergraduate career, I was very engaged on campus and a student leader and won numerous awards for leadership as an undergraduate student chapter leader for various organizations. For graduate school, I moved from Louisiana to Ohio in the middle of cow and corn peas is what I like to tell people. I went to Tiffin and it's a private school, but really a great program for learning American business. Ohio is situated right south of Detroit. So a lot of my professors had experience working for the big four, the car manufacturing companies. So think of Ford, GM, Chrysler, the grand old days. And so a lot of my uh, leadership lessons that I learned very early on were for, from some of those car manufacturers. It was really pivotal. And then um, after my time in Ohio, finished up my MBA there in 18 months, then I joined the professional workforce. So that's just a snapshot into my academic background. That's fantastic. I'm wondering when you say that you had the self assessment that helped this kind of switch from poli sci into your marketing major with your undergraduate. Do you think that those were the budding um, early kind of representations of the work that you would be doing now and helping people kind of assess what they're doing, the work that you do with women? It sounds like a self imposed like measurement of, of how to assess and then correct uh, direction and course. It, can you speak to any of that? Yeah. So Looking back hindsight, it's 2020, right? I see the value in an assessment for someone like myself, but each person has a different personality style. So what works for me may not work for someone else. The key for me was the, the assessments that I took as an undergraduate student opened my eyes to things that I had no frame of reference for. So mm -hmm. just to give you a little bit more insight, I'm a first generation college graduate, meaning my family members hadn't gone to college and graduated. So a lot of the things that some people pass on just in eightly generations to generation, I didn't have. So that assessment was very pivotal for me because I had no context going into college as to what I should be majoring in, what were my skills, my natural skills and talents that I should be looking to enhance on that college campus. So when I'm looking at the work I do with women today, some women have just been going through their careers step after step, not really knowing what they want or really truly following their own desires and their own skill set. So there is some, some linkage back to that where I can see where people who may be going through the motions, an assessment could be pivotal for them to help them gain additional insight. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you talk about providing practical strategy, you know, to women in order to kind of um, work on diminishing the gender wage gap. 
And um, when you talk about practical strategy, I think that assessment is so incredibly crucial. I want to climb in now to looking at zerogap.co um, when it was founded. So let's start off with, uh, were you um, a, accompanied by anyone else and founding it? What year did you found it? And did you take any um, financing or did you bootstrap in the beginning? Great questions. So I started Zero Gap. My financier wasn't traditional. I had a nine to five. So I was working as a contractor for the U.S. government at the Center for Disease Control, working in global health. Wow. And really the impetus for this business was me volunteering with a women's organization. And as a volunteer chapter leader, they asked me to plan one event a month. That was like a big aim. Just do one a month. I found myself consecutively 13 months straight doing four to five events a month. That's how I knew that I had a, a passion for this. So it was solo founded. Um, I didn't have any partners with it. And I used the money that I was earning from my paycheck to buy software, equipment, tools to go to conferences, to do certifications, all of those things that I needed. And I didn't leave that nine to five job job until I had contracts in hand with multiple clients that gave me enough runway for the year. And I used my own savings, the savings that I had, which I had about 30,000 in savings. And I thought that would be like so much money to start this business. Little did I know how quickly <laughs> that money yeah. would, would expire. But that was um, some of the foundation for Zero Gap. And so that started about 2015. Okay, and did you launch it in 2015 or prior to that when you were doing this kind of moonlighting um, and your day job providing the funding, it sounds like, was that earlier on or did, was that in 2015? Yeah, that was around that same time window, um, somewhere around 20, maybe 2014, 2015 window. So the first book, I wrote two books. The first book I wrote, I was working full time and that was really big kickstarter into my career because what i was able to do was not intentionally i just wrote the book because i got tired of telling people the same thing over and over and i'm like i should write a book um and i did but that the advice i had been given was very successful word of mouth spread like wildfire which is why i kept doing all of these repeated strategy sessions with people and then when the book came out, it also took off. So I was speaking at conferences and invited to do talks at companies based off of my first book. So those things, at the time when I wrote the book, I had no idea that I was going to launch a company, but it turned out to be a great stepping stone. Absolutely. So what is the name of your first book, the title? Navigating the Career Jungle. Excellent. And is it an advice-based book for people? Um, what, what genre and what industry is it speaking to? Is it speaking to women and women-identified individuals or is it everybody? It's actually speaking to young professionals and it is a guide. So the book really underscores the importance of setting realistic expectations. Uh, and it goes everywhere from starting with savvy networking, how to build mutually beneficial relationships and not about business cards and we go all the way to how do you deal with difficult people because there are going to be people there will be people that you may not get along with but you're still going to have to maintain that relationship so the underscore of that book is how do you set yourself up to be successful 
in the workplace. And so it spans all industries, but really focused on the young professionals. And then did that book feed straight into the second book or did that book um, kind of give birth to zerogap.co? So that, that book gave birth to a formal coaching business, which was a business that I had before Zero Gap. And then the, the second book came from a more clarity in who I am and my life's work of eliminating that gender wage gap, which hence the name Zero Gap, Zero Gap in the wages and Zero Gap in leadership. Um, what really happened was I honed in on, if I'm going to solve this massive problem that has multiple factors that contribute to it, there are multiple solutions. And I can solve two ways. I knew I could help teach women to negotiate, which is why the second book is called Don't Leave Money on the Table, Negotiation Strategies. And the other part was helping women to advance in leadership because still in 2020, less than 9% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. And we know the people who run organizations, they get paid the most. So if we're going to have a, a balance in this gap that we have in terms of leadership, we're going to have to push more women up the pipeline and support them in those roles. So let's get into um, a little bit further of what zerogap.co does. Is it based on this um, kind of coaching business? Do you take clients individually or is it multi-tiered in which you have, you know, um, classes or lectures? Do you speak out? How is the company developed? Yeah, so we do have multiple um, functions. Our core service is training and development. Okay. So that is where we really get to hone in and help very practically help women to enhance their skills. So what that looks like in our downtown Dallas office, we host trainings every week and uh, teams will come for an offsite training or individuals from the general public can register to attend one of our training sessions. And sometimes we do move people into a coaching program if they have really specific goals that they want to achieve and they need that accountability. We do support them that way as well. Do you do any work online with any online training? Yeah, so uh, I have a, a separate business, which is JacquelineTwilly.com where I do a lot of my negotiation trainings uh, and those that's an online portion, but that's separate from zero gap. Absolutely. So with zero gap, um, seeing as how you guys are coming into, you know, your healthy five year anniversary, can you tell us a little bit about the growth of the company um, and, and how it's changed with that growth? Um, maybe more specified populations that you've reached out to or marketing strategy. Can you speak to any of that? Yeah, so we have been very, very fortunate to have a strong book of business based on word of mouth and referrals. Mm. So in terms of marketing and advertising, of course, we are in all the places where people can find us, but the majority of our clients come to us based on word of mouth. And that's really how I started the business way back before I wrote the first book. Someone would tell someone else. And so in terms of the five-year mark, looking at some of the lessons learned, we've pivoted quite a few times to be even more specific. So when I started, it wasn't um, as specific as it is now, women in male-dominated industries. Over time, I just kept looking at my clients, who was I serving, 
who were the people coming to me and what were their challenges. And that was really what helped me to say, you know what, these are the women that we service the most. These are the women who most need our support because being the only woman in an organization of men or the only woman leading a team of men, not only do you have your regular leadership challenges, but then you have that extra gender factor on top of that. And then for women of color, we have an extra layer. So there's different nuances in how you navigate that successfully so that you're not stressed out and you're continuing to build really effective relationships because at the end of the day, you're trying to get your job done as a leader. Absolutely. What is, uh, what are like, I'm curious as to, you know, um, when I think of male dominated industries, I think of tech because that's been the industry that I've kind of had this bird's eye view to for the past couple of decades. And it's, you know, it's an incredibly moving one. It's the, the, the most, um, fiscally impactful one on our country and, um, women are so, so little represented in tech. And I'm wondering, um, but we don't have to use tech necessarily. However, what is the number one, uh, flaw or, um, figure of change that needs to happen in your clients that come across you? Let's say, um, the higher up, let's talk about management and people who are, you know, this idea of your second book, don't leave money on the table. What is like some of the key pieces that you see as a common thread amongst your clients? Yeah, so a common thread amongst my clients that we really work to enhance is helping them to educate their peers as well as their subordinates on what it looks like for a woman to lead. And I'm not saying on a very elementary level, but on a high leadership level, some of the microaggressions that the women leaders that I work with that they face, their male counterparts can't relate because no one will challenge them that way or no one will talk about them or talk back or question their decisions. And so it's really navigating the microaggression that has been one of the biggest things that we've saw um, in the past 18 months of working with women leaders. Yeah. And microaggressions are um, my favorite kind because they can be, you know, tossed off as um, social custom, as jokes, as all sorts of little, you know, there's little, um, I call them fun, like particularities and legalities that can get you out of being responsible for microaggressions. And so for me, they're the most moving and damaging, you know, in any um, aspect in society, because you can't, the the person guilty of it usually has a hard time being prosecuted for it socially, you know, um, litigiously, like all of those things. And so I think it's key to um, identify and then ascribe, you know, a value to it. I think microaggressions are caused are called other things when they're called out and um, they're frequently never given a history. You know, no one's ever giving microaggressions the backstory that they need to have so that people can see the severity of it. And they lead to things like the wage gap, right? Like these monumentally very impactful, horrible things amongst um, our population. And so I think that those are really key. I think it's great that Nat, you teaching people to navigate them is awesome. Do you have to, um, I always think about situations with like this, as far as um, what elements of education do you give, do you have your clients educate their surrounding or do you simply educate your clients to navigate their surrounding? It's really case by case. Um, in our general training, what we do is we have people a general framework on best practices, <clears throat> what's worked for other people and what we see that's working really well. But when we drill down to it, a lot of people have one-on-one 
like especially in a, in a training scenario i have this situation that i'm dealing with at work and what happens is everyone nods their heads so from there uh based like i said weekly trainings we'll go into detail of this is how you educate your peers or this is how you educate yourself on how to handle it so it's really a case-by-case -case basis on that nice have you ever hit something that you struggle with how to um help your clients navigate or does it all kind of feed back into the same river of um of solution yeah for the most part it all feeds back to the same river there was one time where there was something that was really heavy um and our team is a therapist, so what we refer someone to do at that point is they may consider therapy and they may consider speaking with an employment attorney, um, which was an extreme case that we saw that was just so far out of the box that you know, everybody's heart wanted to break. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And it's a good point to think about, you know, that when you're helping someone navigate, bringing on other experts is, is frequently, I think, advisable as well. I'm curious, um, what has your growth been since the kind of 2015 launch? Has it, uh, um, as a company, has your growth increased ex exponentially? Did it hockey stick? Did it have this nice, gentle growth? How has that been? Yeah, I've been intentional about maintaining and managing the growth so that it is manageable, always thinking about the next step ahead, thinking about how we want to deliver our services in the future because we are very reliant on referrals. It's most important that we take care of our clients and continue to have their trust and maintain those strong relationships. So um, I have no problem pumping the brakes at certain times to make sure that every every person that's working with us at Zero Gap, both staff and client side, that they're being supported the way that they need to be in order to advance. So the growth has been um, beyond what I imagined, to be completely honest, like five years in, I'm looking back to where I started. And of course, I wanted to be successful, but looking at the impact that we have and hearing messages from our clients all the time, it is beyond what I could have imagined. That's exciting. I love hearing that. <laughs> That's great, right? Champagne problems. That's fantastic. Yes. Um, looking forward to the next three to five years. Are you trying to emulate that um, wonderful success that you've had experienced thus far, or do you have an, a like kind of a more built out plan for the company? Yes, we have a very detailed strategic plan, um, which of course I can't get into some of the details, but on a high level, what we're looking to do is we are looking to significantly impact the wage gap and the leadership gap. And so the things that we have been doing that we know are successful, that we see women feeling more supported in their leadership, uh, we're going to double down on those things over the next three to five years, because that is the reason why Zero Gap exists. And that's the really important part of staying focused on why the company was founded, um, to make sure that we don't get mixed up in the hype of all of the other things, the sexy things, the glamorous things about a company that we stay focused on while we started. Because at the end of the day, I am always energized. I love what I do and I want to keep doing this forever. I don't anticipate ever retiring, even if I pivot again. And I think the key to that over the next three to five years is making sure that the customers remain the main thing, solving that zero gap for leadership and wages. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's it's measurable, right? Like your the your the outcome that your clients should have is is fiscally measurable, and also um, I think personally and socially, which is powerful, you know. And, and going by word of mouth and things of that nature, if you're doing well, then that means that the success is is in the pudding. It's already there, you know. The proof has been had. Um, I'm wondering, do you guys align yourself uh, with any political groups, given that you know you have at least a tone of um, politics like pulled through the ethos of the company with this, you know, wanting to diminish the disparity and the, and the gender um, assigned page gap or sorry, wage gap. But I'm wondering if um, people have reached out to you to um, partner up or if you ascribe to any particular political efforts. Yeah. So the great thing about our client base is we serve clients from different political views. Um, aside from my own personal political views, the company doesn't have a political stance. And um, you know, I've been very vocal about I support equality. I believe people should be treated like humans. And we're recording this on Dr. Martin Luther King Day, mm -hmm. the observance of his uh, birthday. And I'm just so deeply reminded that you know, the main thing is that everybody is treated equally, man, woman, boy, girl, regardless of your race and your gender or how you self-identify. And um, yeah, so that's the answer to that. I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that you're right. I, I always try to remind um, myself and everyone in my immediate surroundings that it's frequent, it's it's very common, at least with some of my male colleagues or family, you know, people who I hold dear to even have this idea to let the idea become um, women against men. And anytime you talk about feminism or removing a pay parity and all of the, or, um, installing pay parity, all of these things, like, I think that what we lose sight of is the goal is for both genders or for all genders in between. You know, the concept of equality is, benefiting everybody and it, it's the the war is on the disparity and not someone else you know and i always try to keep um that kind of in the forefront which it sounds like you're doing as well you know these concepts of um pay disparity based on gender is it's crippling our economy you know and that speaks to yeah. everybody every person every gender every race it's it's not good for the entire system. And so I think keeping that, you know, up in, in, in the forefront of our minds is crucial. I have a lot of economist friends that speak to like just, just the numbers, you know, you don't have to be aligned to any political party, everyone in between Republicans, Democrats, independents, everybody should be for pay equality because it's actually better just for the entire nation. You know, it's, it's better for yeah. our dogs. Like it's just better. And so yeah. I think that keeping that, the altruism of it sounds like what you're doing and your efforts and things like that is is crucial not to assign it to um but i think it would be very tempting for people who have political agendas and platforms that may be beautiful in their own right to really want to attach to you so i think it's interesting that you've um kind of it's probably incredibly um brilliant of you to kind of maintain your own particular platform and, and service all people well, and you know, here's the thing, regardless of your political party, there are women who are still facing the wage gap and who we still see a leadership gap for. And that's why we've been able to attract women of different political associations, because no matter what we put on the outside, what posters we hold or what bumper stickers we wear, 
at the end of the day, we all want to be paid fairly. And we want the loaf of bread is the same for the man as it is for the woman. And so it's, that's one analogy that I use with men a lot is that when you go to a store, you buy bread, you're going to pay the same, even though you make significantly more than someone who's getting paid less for the same work. So I think when we bring it down to apples and oranges, bread per se, um, it helps people to really understand at the end of the day, it isn't about being dis divisive at all. And then, again, it goes back to the education. Equal for you doesn't equal for me does not mean less for you. Right. It's just equal. Yeah. And it's always better for everybody. Yes, <laughs> I think it's absolutely. crucial to keep that in mind. Um, I think that the the greatest enemy of um, good change is, you know, creating enemies within the change. And so yep. I think it's it's important to stay aligned. Um, we need more conversation. We need more things in common, you know, talked about in, in general. Um, my personal opinion <laughs> in this world, in this country, we need to start getting to some more common ground for sure. I'm curious if you were uh, out tomorrow in, in um, uh, you're in Texas, I think, uh, if you were out I am. hanging out in Texas tomorrow at a beautiful gardener park and a young person walked up to you, um, let's say it was female, female identified or non-binary individual, pretty much anyone other than a man, um, it said, listen, I, I've got, you know, I've, I've got this great background. I did some early academic work in marketing. Um, I, you know, I've, I've gone off and done my own thing with different self-assessment and some, some coaching stuff. And now I really want to get into my own, my first startup in my business, what are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual right now? Yeah, I would tell them first and foremost, look at the problem that you're aiming to solve and look at the factors that, as number two, look at the factors that contribute to that problem. And part B of two is you'll be able to develop a solution from there. And then number three is look at the first thing that you need to get started and do that. A lot of times working with um, women specifically, we think we have to have it all figured out before we get off on the road and get started. And Dr. Martin Luther King has this quote that I adore. And he says that you don't have to see the whole staircase to get started. Just take the first step. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but that would be the advice that I would give to somebody is take that first step because once you get the ball rolling, you'll figure the rest out along the way. Nice. I like that. So look at the problem or what is the problem you're aiming to solve? Look at that carefully. Uh, look at the factors of the solution. And then finally, um, take the first step. That's great. Yeah. yeah, I was just speaking with a woman, a founder who said um, her co-founder was her husband. And he had said she was this very um, buttoned up person. She always had things in a row, which I find a lot with female entrepreneurs, you know, that everything's just kind of done so and um her husband said he said listen we've just got to take the leap and grow the wings like on our way down <laughs> and i was like it's true there's got to be a certain amount of bravery right yeah within anything that you're doing with the entrepreneurial spirit and it sounds like you've got it in spades so um we are wrapping up on time i just wanted to say thank you jacqueline so much for speaking with us today i know you're busy and um, I really appreciate your time. Um, I want everyone to go out and check out your company, um, zerogap.co, as well as check out her books on Amazon. Um, I think that they both sound fantastic. And um, will you tell us the name of each books again? 
Yes. So the first book is, well, first book is Navigating the Career Jungle. And the second book, Don't Leave Money on the Table. Right. And they're both authored by you, Jacqueline Twilley. Yes, that is correct. Awesome. Thank well, you thank so you much. Thank you, Patricia, for having me. Yes, Absolutely. my pleasure. I appreciate it. And um, for everyone listening, thank you for your time today. And until we talk again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Slunch. Thank you.